You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to something I'm very excited about. I hope you are. Um, as Bob and I came up with this title of uh, Ramban versus Rambam. I always tell my students that uh, people, uh, how to pronounce these names, not to get them confused, the N and the M. So when you when we talk about Ramban, Ramban, soft. You talk about the Rambam, it's like pebbles and bam, bam, Rambam. Ramban versus Rambam. Um, and I think it's a, a very important uh, dialectic between these two. And it, as I said in the letter, it stretches over many, many things. Um, and it, and it's, 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 we're going to see tonight that it stretches from philosophy uh, of the world to what is the approach to Talmud that we should have. And I think that one of the things that also gets me excited is the chance to actually relish the words of the two, as opposed to just hearing what their opinions are. I think that going back to their language and to see what they're really about uh, is crucial. They, they, they have been interpreted and diluted for us over and over again. Um, the Ramban as well, and not just the Ramban. And I think, I think it's healthy uh, in many ways to go back uh, to the sources. Uh, the, what is the connection to this period of the year? Um, I'm going to create a little bit of a connection. That's not my prime reason of, of doing this for the, for that connection, but I'm going to create a connection. Uh, and it's based on tonight's subject matter. The subject matter, of course, we're going to talk about is the conflicting views between the Ramban and the Rambam of what Kedusha means, what holiness means. And, um, Clearly, it's something that is part of our life day in and day out of what we live to be holy. We aspire to be holy. We talk about being Kadosh. We talk about being an Am Kadosh. We talk about a Beit HaMikdash, Beit HaMikdash. By the way, just as you know, just to make it simple, it's everything in the transliterations was Ashkenazis. Please do not take uh, any insults. So, you know, again, we might switch from Svardit to Ashkenazis. Um, and you'll understand. But the idea of the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMikdash, and that's part of, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, the Hur, we're going to be starting the Avelis of the Churban coming up very soon. Uh, we're going to be entering the three weeks. Is very much connected to, do we deserve to have the Beit HaMikdash? Did we live a holy enough life? The subject matter of Kedusha has, of course, dealt with in Sefer Vayikra at length and in depth especially in Parshas Kedoshim, but also throughout the whole Sefer. In Achrimos, we find this Pasuk at the end of the Parsha of Arayas, these two Psukim. The Tawevas that were referred earlier, all the incestuous relationships uh, and the inferences of even worse, perhaps, than incest, bestiality, homosexuality, uh, other things uh, that were referenced, 
those were done by the people that lived in this land before you. And the land absorbed the Tumah. The land should not throw you up. That's what Taki means. The land should not throw you up. If you make it Tame. Because it threw out it, it, it expunged it, like vomited out those people. The land, the Eretz Yisrael, has its own essence. It's like a living being. And as um, as as, Rash, as the Chazal, the Torah's Kohanim, which is going to be one of the main points of tonight, how we use the Torah's Kohanim in Halacha, the Torah's Kohanim on that Pasuk says, Melamed Shaha'aretz mitma'o al yudei hadvarim halolu. That Yes, a land can become tame. It could absorb uh, impurities. And the next piece I thought was extremely relevant to us. That we, the land, demands golus. The land demands that their people go in exile because of those things. So not living Kedusha, a life of Kedusha, leads to exile, which, again, leads to the opposite, that understanding what Kedusha is and living a life of Kedusha is what brings the Geula and brings us back. It allows us to go back to the land. It allows us to be ready to come to the land. I don't have to tell you that, again, I, I hate using Arab propaganda, but a lot there has been in the last, since the state of Israel was formed, there has been a lot of uh, discussion um, about why Mashiach hasn't come yet. And many times you'll hear the Arabs were saying that they don't really live holy. They're not really holy anymore. They don't deserve it. Um, Ricardo said the same thing. I think that we need to hear the message, whether we disagree with them politically. And of course, we know that there are hated enemies. Getting back to what Kedusha means, I think, can help us build on what our life in Eretz Yisrael can become. And we don't have to, again, sometimes um, the messenger can sometimes tell us a message that can still ring true, even if it's ugly and disgusting, the source of it. So let's but there is a beautiful source, the source of Taras Kohanim, but you still hear it today. Let's talk about Kedusha. So there's a piece in the Mar Nebuchim, um, and we'll talk a little bit about what the Mar Nebuchim is about. Uh, it's, the, it's, of course, uh, Phil uh, is here, on, and I think, uh, I think I gave a shear at your house a number of times in the Mar Nebuchim, um, and, and Bob, I remember we were talking about it, and this is one of the things that my, I don't know, I don't know if this was the, one of the frakom we studied, but we did have a shir in Moronavuchim when we were in Chicago, in Skokie. This, of course, is the Rambam's book that he wrote before, you know, as the last book that we know that he was, that he finished. Uh, he writes, uh, in one of his letters that he's still working on a, on a commentary on the Yershalmi, and he talks about, uh, a commentary on the Gemara on the Talmud Bavli, uh, 
a little bit has come down to us, but the Mornabuchim is the last major work that we have of the Rambam. There are letters, of course, but this is the Rambam, you know, basically as an older person. Um, again, the, the three major works of the Rambam, just to review, uh, the, there is the Parish HaMishnayas that he finished by the time he was 30, 25 to 30, the Mishnah Torah, which uh, he finished when he was 50. The Rambam died when he was 70. Um, and the Mordavuchim was probably written sometime in his 60s. Uh, that is my, uh, what I believe he, the ideas, of course, were, were in his mind for years. So this is the book of the, of the more mature, the older Rambam. Let's see what he says. He says, He says that I'm able, and we're going to see what this was built on to explain why we call our language Loshana Kodesh. Talked about Ivrit before and Ivris. <laughs> the Rambam is talking about the language of Tanakh. Why do we call it Loshana Kodesh? And don't think that uh, it's a mistake that we call it Lushan Kodesh. It seems to just like a, it's almost like a, uh, an exaggeration. Avo, who emes, mitmeshezeha Lushan Kodesh, lo hunach bo shem klal, lukliya mishagel, a mishkal. This is a language that doesn't have any references to the genital organs. The organs that are responsible for procreation, for sexual activity, there is no word in the Torah for those organs. Lo menanoshim, lo menanoshim. Lo Ram is very um, uh, careful in how he writes. He says, and there's no term for coitus. There's no term for that. I just said it in English. There is no such term in, uh, in, in Loshna Kodesh. And in fact, the lo lizera, the lo There's nothing there uh, for, um, you know, uh, again, there's no real term for, uh, you know, uh, in, 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 insemination. Um, there's no term for impregnation, really, um, uh, or yitzia. I'm not sure exactly what he means here. Um, let's go on to the next page. There's no word for them in essence. What he means is there's no word for them. There's, there's a word that stands for them, but there is no real word for them. The words, the words that are used are only borrowed phrases. They don't really mean that. Why is it that there's only euphemisms? Why isn't it that there is a, why can't the Torah be technical? Why can't the Torah be clinical? The reason is, is because the Torah doesn't want you to have a clinical name for these things. The Torah actually wants you, you know, we know what you're talking about, but the Torah didn't, God did not want there to be a term for that because he wanted us to sort of be embarrassed about it and not speak about it. 
And when there was a need to speak about them, then what God did was come up with euphemisms from other words. The same way when you have to do these things, <laughs> you do these things in secret. In other words, the language reflects the attitude. The same way when someone has to, someone is involved in that activity, he says it's done secretly, privately, it's not spoken about, it's not bandied about. The language doesn't have a term for it. Now, it's true. It's true that there is uh, the, the the male organ is referred to as gid, but he says that doesn't really mean the male organ. Who shame outside adimio? It's only it's that's really like a sinew. A gid is a sinew. In other words, gid is only like like there it means like a a, a sinew of metal. It's something that's stretched and metal, metallic. Sometimes it's, a, it's like a sinew that stretches. It's only a similarity. It's not a sinew at all. Sometimes uh, that uh, area of the male body is called something that leaks, something that spills. Again, it, it's only mitzad puloso. It doesn't really, it's, there's no noun for the male organ. He says, This, of course, we just had in, in, in last week's laning here, right? When, when Pinchas kills Zimri, that he throws the Romach el Kovasa, right? Now, Kovasa doesn't mean the woman's genitals. He says, Kovasa is the shame of, of Astumacha. That's the name of the stomach area. And the Rechem, even though you do have the Rechem, which is a womb, it's true. There's it, 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 it's 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 where the baby is formed. The word rechem is in the Torah, but that's that has been disconnected from the sexuality from the sex act that produces it. Right. If we talk about something that comes out of that organ, it's called soe or something. Just means something that comes out. V'shem asheten, right? When asheten, which is what urine, there is no word for urine in the Torah. What word do they use? Right? Me'mei raglayim. It's not really urine, right? It's water. And even the name of zera shichvas zera. True, it's like a seed, but it has to do with lying down seed. The word, it's not the word for semen. And that's in terms of the organs. In terms of the term for the sex act itself, there's nothing that really means that. There isn't even, uh, uh, he says, yes, there's a, there's a term that's a euphemism for it, which is yival, or yishkav. Now again, yival means to act like a baal, to act like an owner. Yishkav is to sleep. Yikach is to take. Yigale erva is to reveal uh, the erva, reveal the, the nakedness, reveal the embarrassment. It doesn't, there's no term for that act. He says, 
even though there is the word Yishagelna, which is in the Torah, it's in the Torah when it speaks about um, uh, when it speaks about the Kohen, it speaks about uh, the the Kohen giving the 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 charge to uh, the people at war, and it mentions that they can go back if they uh, had just gotten married. And they said it shouldn't be a situation where you just you 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 became married and some other person will yishagel no you'll with your wife. So you might think that means having sex with her. That's not what it means. Shagal is the name of anara hamuchenes lemishgal. That's uh, shagal is, is 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 just a term for a girl who is loose, who is ready to have relations, but uh, the Pasuk says, Nitzvah shagal minecha. there's going to be a shagal uh, uh, on your right, the Kesem Ophir. So you see, he says, that when it says Yishagalna, it just means your wife will be taken as a girl who's going to be servicing someone. But it's not that a, a man will have the sexual act with her. So the, the Rambam, again, has said that that's what makes our language holy. That's what Kedusha is. A disconnection from that part, necessary part of humanity, but that's what Kedusha means, to, which, is a, which is, and we'll see where the Rambam gets this attitude from. But that, in the Rambam, means holy. Now, the Ramban has a criticism. As I mentioned uh, earlier, about this Rambam in his commentary on in Parsha Shmos. Um, the Torah calls the Matzah HaShekel a Shekel HaKodesh. Why, why is the Matzah HaShekel a Shekel HaKodesh? We talked about Loshan HaKodesh a minute ago in the Rambam. Um, the Ramban wants to explain, you know, what Shekel is. This is one of the first times the word Shekel is used, uh, if not the first. And why is it called Shekel HaKodesh, though? What's holy about money? It becomes holy if you use it for a holy purpose. But why is the Shekel before you? You're, you're supposed to give the money. It's not, is it holy before you give it? <laughs> but you can give the Machzis, you can, you can give the Shekel, and oh, I did a great mitzvah with it, but it's not holy yet. So the Ramban, the Ramban says, I almost made a mistake there. The Ramban says, he says, um, we know these mitzvos, for example, if you have to pay Eirechen, right? Or Pidyon Bechor, you use this coin to do this mitzvah. Um, they contributed to the Mishkan. Um, so therefore, anytime there's something in the Torah that has a specific amount and you're supposed to use it, if you take a look throughout the Torah, whether it's Pidyan Aben, it's going to be Shkolen. So therefore, if something is used for the Torah all the time, so that makes it holy. Yikoro HaKosav Shekel HaKodesh. This is the Shekel that's used for holy things. <laughs> you're right, it's not technically, it's not like a piece of hectish that you're Makadish yet, but something that is Torah-related is holy. Something that is, is, is part and parcel of the mitzvahs of the Torah is holy. He says, therefore, that's why 
Chazal call the language of the Torah Lashon HaKodesh. Because the Torah, it's, it's the dress that the Torah works with. This is the currency the Torah uses. So he says, Shumit Nesha Divrei HaTorah V'anavius V'chol Divrei Kedusha Kulam B'Loshon Hunemru. The gateway to understanding everything is, of course, people say, I need to know the language. But it's not so, it's true, it's the understanding of the language because of the idea, but it's also the reality that these words of God, which we feel are the most intense, important words of God, were all in this language. And therefore, it has to be a, a Loshon that's Kodesh. Because every word of the Torah is in this language. All the Nevi'im are in this language. This is the language that God, Yisalu Shemo Medaber Bo Nevi'ov. When a Navi, and there might have been, Bilam, of course, was a Navi as well, and that was again last week's Parsha. But when God speaks to a Navi, he speaks to a Navi in this language. V'im adoso, and with, with the Jewish people. Those were God's spirituals, energies, and, and essence in a way that were in the form of this language that the people spoke. Ubo nikru And in fact, when you think about God's names, they're all part of this language. Eil, Elohim, Tzvos, Shaddai. These are all names that come out of this language that the Jewish people had organically spoke, or however it was that it developed from Odom Arishon. That's really not the point. The point is, is that as he goes further, Ubo bora olamo. We believe the world was created in this language. And when we say God called the, the world Shamayim, we know the Medrash, Shamayim, it's only because it's part of that language that we call, again, it's a misnomer to call it Hebrew, but that's the language that we speak. It's the language that the Torah was given in. And, and he says, the, the angels have the names in that language. What are they called? Michael, Gabriel. That is the language of... Uh, 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 that we're familiar with. It's, it, it, that's what makes it holy. And those are also the names of the greatest people in our in, in, in humanity's history. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Interesting how he skips to Shlomo here. <laughs> and he, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Shlomo, and the rest. <laughs> Again, the Ramban is a careful writer. I'm not sure why he skips uh, Moshe, Aaron, and David Amelach. But there's something about the fact, I guess, I have a little bit of a shot here. I'm sure Bob is thinking as well, because uh, this is up your alley. But I'm thinking that maybe um, Moshe is, an, of course, an Egyptian name. And even though, right, um, and, and it could be Shlomo is a, uh, you know, Shlomo we know is a, is a name from the, right, Avram is Avam on Goyim, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Those are all names that are built on the language. Um, I'm not, I'm, David, I'm not sure why he didn't put in David, but I understand why Moshe's not there. Maybe Aaron, he didn't. But Shlomo, we know, comes from the word of Shlemus and Shalom and things like that. So the point is, is that God, the names that these people carried were names that were a byproduct of this language. He says, So this is our, since this is the first time in this series that we have a critique of of Nachmanides, of Maimonides, of the Ramban versus the Rambam. Let's step back for a second. Uh, 
unlike other critics of the Rambam, like um, Rav Shimshon of Sense and others, and the Raivad, uh, Ramban was quite familiar with the complete urva of the Rambam. I don't know if he had all his letters, but those three major works, uh, the Parsha Mishnayas, the Mishnah Torah, the Ramban was quite aware of, and I would say was somewhat of an expert in as anyone else would have been. He had incredible respect for the Rambam. He refers to him as the Rav. That's what he calls him. It's almost like a modern day person would say the Rav. Like, oh, is he a Salvatrican? Is he talking about uh, the Alter Rebbe? Like, who's the Rav? He, this isn't, uh, he's not taking a cudgel to destroy uh, the Rambam in people's minds. In fact, uh, the Ramban uh, defended the Rambam. Uh, the Chachme Provincia, which of course was a very important place. Uh, it was the place in, in southern France that sort of was like the, the, the bridge between the Ashkenazim, like the Rashi and the Baliatesis, and the Chachme Sfarad. Provincia was actually, uh, the Rambam found out about it uh, somewhat later in life, and he was very, very impressed at the Chachme Provincia. Um, and, uh, but the Chachma Provincia, we know, of course, the Raivad was from Provence. Uh, the Miri was one of the latest. Chachma Provincia was sort of like the intellectual area. It was like Boston, I guess, to the rest of the United States. If, I don't know if that's a good parallel, but it's something like, no? <laughs> I, but it's sort of like that. In other words, it's the place where there's a lot of stuff that was cooking. That's the way Provence was. And the, and the Rambam himself said, when it talked about Provence, the Rambam wrote in one of his later letters, he said, I would have, I would have worked harder to write the Mornavuchim in Hebrew or in the Lushan of the Mishnah had I known about you. I didn't even know. I wrote it in Arabic because I thought, look, I know there's Jews out there. I know there's these Jews in Germany, but they don't need a philosophical book. They, you know, the, as far as I know, the only people who need, who think philosophically and are really troubled are people who speak Arabic. I didn't know that there's people out there who don't speak Arabic, who aren't part of the Islamic world, who are really true intellectuals about what Judaism is about. And if I would have known, I would have worked and written the book in uh, uh, the other language instead of it being in Arabic. So the Rambam had a, a very strong connection uh, with Chachmei Provincia. In fact, uh, this a letter against astrology, but some people in Provence, felt that the Rambam was dangerous. Uh, we all know who they were, Rabbeinu Yonah, who was the Ramban's first cousin, and Rabbeinu Yonah's Rebbe, Rabbi Shlomo Minahar. Uh, they actually had a campaign, of course, to burn the Rambam Svarim, uh, especially um, the parts of uh, Mishnah Torah that they felt were, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go on. Ramban begged the Chachme Provincia, and I don't know if it was to his cousin Rabbeinu Yonah that he wrote the letter, but he, he begged them not to come down hard on the Rambam. And he was actually one of the Rambam's greatest defenders. Uh, he wrote a beautiful poem, which we'll do a different week, about uh, his love of the, of the Rambam. So he is a, a, a critic. <laughs> yes, no question about it. But he is a critic that is loving and understanding and and Alavai, all critics should be like him. And this is the way he introduces the Rambam. He introduces the Rambam as Harav. What does the Rav say in Lerunavuchim? 
He says, "Al takshov shenikr lishoneinu loshen hakodesh legaibel seinu." So don't think we think. And this is his own translation, not the same translation that you saw before. Um, and then he quotes basically what we saw before. He says, "Ein sarach latamazeh." You don't need it. You don't need to come on to this sort of prim and proper prudish explanation of, of, the, of the Rambam. It's not because, oh, you know, there's no term for sexuality or any of the sex organs. You don't need that. He says, Lashon HaKodesh, Kedusha, the Torah makes something holy. The Torah itself is pure Kedusha. And of course, this is the language of the Torah. Now, and it's and even what he says, I don't think is true. The Tam Shehiskir Al Daiti Emes. The reason that he says, I don't believe is true. Kima Shiyakeno Yishagelna Yishkabeno. The fact that those terms are uh, interchangeable in the parsha of the Kohen Mashiach, that shows you that it's the same word. Mishkal means coitus. That's what the word means. And the Torah does have a word for it. That doesn't make the Torah any less holy. The fact that the Torah has a word for the actual sex act, don't say it, yes, right? There is such a word. And the word is in the Torah. But that doesn't mean that there is a problem. Let's go on to the next page. If you take a look, there's a Pusik in, in Malachim Bays where Rashkava comes and, 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 and tries to scare the people in the time of Chizkiyahu. He talks about, in the most disgusting way, he talks about the people who are, who are eating their dung and drinking their urine. Take a look in that Pusik, you'll see that's in Tanakh, which is part of Lashon HaKodesh. And it says, they're going to be eating their dung. That's the word for dung. So the Torah does have a word for coitus. It has a, has a word for fecal material. If, if the Rambam, if the Ramban, if Rambam is right, I'm getting confused. If the, if the Rambam is right, if that's all holiness is, then holiness is is like a Puritan. <laughs> Noki. Yeah, it's clean. Like, like the Gemara says, uh, for example, the Mishnah says that what is the, um, the shear, uh, for the Ben Sora Mora? When is it that he can, when he's no longer considered a Ben Sora Mora? So it's 13 and a half approximately. And that's what it says. The Mishnah said, Atriyakiv Zakana Tachtom that he's going to have a full lower beard. And then it adds, but not, that we don't mean the upper beard, but we speak Beloshanikia. So as that's, so the Gemara itself says, that's called prudish language. There's nothing wrong with it. The, the Rambam might be right. It, it might be good not to be so blatant, but that's not what makes our language our language. 
um, the pasuk that says by by Yosef Atzadik. Yosef told Eishes Potiphar, "Lecha Masher Hu Ochel." Right? He's given me everything except the bread that he eats. And of course, the Chazal say that's called Lashanaki. But that's that means yes, a euphemistic term. The Ramban is not saying that I want to be just very clinical and open and grub. But it, what the Ramban is not also not saying is that holiness is not the same as being disconnected from those physical things. That's not where the essence of Kedusha is. Okay? So that is a, 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 our first challenge. What is What makes something Kodesh? The Rambam feels that makes something Kodesh is a disconnect, a, 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 a realization of the necessity of these things but a a a a a denial well not a denial but not but not absorbing and accepting it and treating it as something that you can bandy about that's how you are a holy person that is at least the beginning of holiness or one of the essence central things of holiness and 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 the ramban thinks that that's that's not holiness that's just a, a good a, a prudish, Puritan-like thing to be, but that's not what Kedusha is. Okay, that is one debate that they have. Let's take it one step further and to the next. Uh, the Rambam in Marnavuchim explains what's the reason for the Surah Arayos. Why did God um, give those that legislation? Now, we have to understand that this question sounds weird to us. And part of it is because we're, to us, you know, the, the incest laws are so much a fabric of what, the way we accept the world that we think anything else would be bizarre and terrible. However, that's, I don't know if sociologists have, or, or anthropologists have discovered differently but the Rambam is trying to explain that that only happened because of the Torah. Before the Torah, um, it wasn't, as, and we know this from the Midrashim, right? The Midrashim speak about brothers marrying sisters. We know that the Shvatim married their own sisters, according to many opinions. And um, uh, Yaakov marrying two sisters, of course. Um, Yocheved married her nephew, right? Yocheved married her nephew, Amram. So why did the Torah aser the Arayos? Okay. So he says the reason why is because the Rambam says that um, it, what it does, it limited sexual activity and caused us, because it made it verboten, it caused us to see sexual activity as disgusting. And therefore, we're not going to want we're only going to want a little bit of it. Now, let's start with the wildest ones. And I know if uh, I'm going to put this on the podcast and I'm, I might uh, be uh, labeled as an anti... Uh, I, I'm just r- telling you what the Ramban, what the, what the Ramban writes. 
Isr Zohar, the Isr Behemam of Urmaod. Two men, bestiality, it's clear. I don't even have to explain that. Okay. I didn't say it. The Rambam said it. Please do not hang me in effigy that I am some anti LBGQ. Okay. Um, next. Achar she'inyanativi nimas liasos rak with In other words, even when it's normal, it's considered ooh mias, right? And I only do it when it needs to be done, when there's a necessity for it. Especially if I'm allowing my urges and my sexuality to be done in an unnatural way. So what am I after? I'm after pleasuring myself. That for sure is wrong. Now, what about, now let's go to the women. Men, men and women relationships. They all mean basically one thing. Let's imagine a world without Arayas, okay? You, you need to suspend your disbelief and realize that part of the reason why you think the way you're thinking is because the Torah did such a good job in, 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 in pushing and making part of our essence the fact that we keep these mitzvahs. But what would it have been before? Well, um, basically, the people that the Torah asked were the ones that you're constantly with. People that there's a natural relationship with and that they grew up together and had it not been for the Torah making it usher, there would have, it, it, it wouldn't have been like, you know, uh, two nervous Nellies, you know, uh, trying to talk to each other and fumbling at some, uh, you know, at some singles bar because they know each other and, 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 and they actually are friends and she would be open to having a relationship. And she's always there. Well, Yitrach Lazmina doesn't have to go find her. And if, if you would try to legislate that, um, right? right? They're always home. These are the people that are with you all the time. Let's say Erva would have been like any other single girl that you needed to marry her. Now, the Rambam has a theory that getting, we'll see in in Maranabucham in a different place, where the Rambam, a little bit earlier in the chapter, that forcing a marriage to happen in a public way makes sure that, that, that it isn't one night stands and just having your jollies. That you would have to, um, the fact that you have to publicly bring 10 people, the fact that you have to have a Nisuin, that shows you that it isn't going to be taken in a cavalier way. Let's say Arias would be the same way. You couldn't just have relations, but she mutter liso, so you could create a marriage bond with them. So you know what most people are? So people would basically just have relations with them. Um, why? Because who knows, right? 
basically the, most people would do what they'd say again if it's a if it's someone that you need to free a, a stranger so getting married is a whole process if it's someone that you're anyway hanging out with that you're with all the time someone you sort of grow up with so most people would basically be involved with having sexual relations with their relatives now the kasher nesra be lost on kol iker but then God decided to take out the giant hammer. He decided to take out the giant hammer against this. And he made it the worst possible thing. So in other words, it's not that it's as terrible as murder. It's not that it's as terrible as, as, as Avodazara. Basically, what it is, is that had Arias been allowed then we would be very involved in sexual activity there, and, and they would, it, there would just be too much sexual relations going on. <laughs> Therefore, God came down extremely hard on this and he made it the worst possible thing with Misas Bezdin and Kares. Let's go to the next page. Not really working here. It's it's not mutter at all. There's no way. Okay. Now that God came and, and made it the worst possible thing in the world, oh, now you're not even going to be thinking about them. You're not even going to, no, I'm never going to think about my sister anymore. So therefore, and that's the reason why God, because uh, the erva is someone who's always around. Think about it. When you get married, you know, mom moves in, grandma moves in, right? Daughter moves in, the sister is here. Yeah. And you know what? In the average relationship in those days, you know, the, the the grandma's there, the mom's there, and the husband is is, is constantly with these with all these relatives of his wife. And many times you have these nuclear families where the the, the wives are there with their husband's brother, and with the husband's father, with, with the husband's son from a, a previous marriage, and that's the way people are with their sisters and with their uncles, and also with their uncles' wives. Because they grew up with them. That's the way the families are. And those are the Arias of She'er Basel. And that's the reason why, one of the reasons why She'er Basel is not allowed. The Rambam adds one other reason for it. He says, the other reason is, so one reason is, is because these are the types of Arias that you would be just having sex with all the time. And because of that, the Torah the Torah doesn't want you to be that type of a person. So the Torah came down and made it the worst possible Aveira in the world. The other thing the Rambam says, some of the Arayas, the Rambam admits, would make you a very sort of brazen person. In other words, if a person would have relations with his mother or with his daughter, he says, that is so brazen um, and 
therefore anything that's connected to your father's wife or to your or to your uh, or to your daughter-in-law those are that's not because we're afraid that they're so easy and they're always around that was also because of brazenness okay and that's the same thing when it comes to uh, a brother as well a brother's wife it's just now The Rambam has a little bit of a problem um, in his theory, but um, because it doesn't always work, because the Rambam has a problem in terms of explaining, because he says that, you know, he says that uh, a brother, he can't have a brother's wife, because it's sort of like that there's this sense of shorish, of an anaf together, so he wants, to, he has a little bit of an issue of why the Torah allows a person to marry their niece and why the Torah doesn't allow someone to marry um, their brother's wife, but why can the, your, why can your brother marry your daughter? He has a little bit of, a, of an, uh, that, that to him was one of his questions. But if we go to the Ramban on this, the Ramban has criticism on this as well. Okay, so here's the Ramban's criticism. I think I skipped the page. Page eight. Okay, Ramban's critique. Once again, In other words, it's all a way to turn you into a less sexual being. Um, first of all, he says, Rabbeinu Avram, of course, is the Eben Ezra. Uh, and he says, first of all, what the, the Rambam spent a lot of time going through all the Arayas, but you can basically find that idea in the Eben Ezra. Um, and the Eben Ezra says, That's what the Eben Ezra puts it short and sweet. He said, basically, people are like animals. And you couldn't get them... You couldn't say all women are off limits. So they got the ones that were the easiest around you. But he says both the Eben Ezra and the Rambam are very weak. In other words, you're going to end up generating a chi of chorus because they happen to be the ones around that are easy marks for you. We know that a person can marry with, before the Chaim Rabbeinu Gershom, you could marry hundreds of wives, thousands of wives, <laughs> right? And in fact, think about it. Maybe as brazen as the Rambams calls it, is it so terrible if a person would marry his daughter? We know the B'nai Noach, even after the Torah was given, are allowed to marry their daughters. Two sisters. The Ramban is going to sound... And, and I, I know there, again, remember, part of what we, I, I said when we started tonight, 
was that I, I didn't want to distill it. I didn't want to, um, uh, to, to beautify it. I wanted you to see the language inside. So don't be surprised. Be surprised, but, but realize that this is written 800 years ago. The best marriage you can think about is your daughter gets married to her older brother. Why? Uh, you don't have to worry about the Mukhutanim. There isn't any, some sort of crazy uh, secret uh, in the closet. And you got no problem giving them, right? I still remember how my mother, Shalom, uh, she made sure that, yeah, you're going to sign over this. We're afraid that you're going to take our stuff and we don't know if we trust your wife. This, everybody, everyone's worried about their nachla. Who are you getting married to? What's going to be? It'll be perfect. My, my, my kids got married to each other. And they'll have grandchildren right here. Everybody's all the same. We, there is no chazal, there's no dover mekubal on why arayas are us. But, So here the Ramban is going to disappoint us in a way. He doesn't do it often in his debates with the Rambam, but it is going to happen. And part of it is because he was a mekubal. He was a person, not just who, an aficionado of Kabbalah. He was a one of the important connections for Kabbalah to actually have spread. He's one of the great Kabbalistic teachers. Uh, his commentary, there was many Kabbalistic in, uh, uh, works based on his commentary. And he had a school, in a sense, of, 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 of other enlightened people like himself. So he is going to sort of hint at some Kabbalistic reason here. Let's take a look. There's some great secret here. Dovik Benefesh. It's somehow connected to the Nishama of why you cannot engage in activity with that person. And it's connected to Sodha Ibor. The Sodha Ibor is not what allowed them to add an extra month to the calendar. The Sodha Ibor was connected to reincarnation. The Sodha Ibor is connected to the idea of souls that are, diff- are in a, a body more than one time. And that's part of Yibum and other things. Shakvara Masnulo. So he says it has something to do with these souls that somehow cannot be connected. I agree with the Rambam that you're not supposed to be a, 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 a hedonist. You're not supposed to be a, 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 just running around. But the purpose, of course, is to have children. If you can't have children, then it's usr. Similarly, if there is a type of union 
that will produce a child that will not live or not be healthy, the Torah, like a doctor, will tell you, don't do that. And that's what he believes is El Kol Sher Besara. The Torah knew that She'er is stay away from She'er. Why? Because She'er is somehow like a leftover. Vanishar Bitzio. She'er means it's what you're going to have is the flesh, but you won't really have a normal, healthy child. That's what we call it she'er. Because it's, it's a flesh. Basically, it's something that's left over. It's not a beautiful, procreative act that str- now allows you to stretch into the future. What it is, is something that won't work. And if something doesn't work, if something produces children that die, something produces a, a Tay-Sachs child or a child that won't live, then if it doesn't produce children, ultimately, it's taiva. Now, arayos are chukim from the, the things that God decrees. And therefore, God decrees it because he's the chacham. He knows how to run this government. He knows what's good for us. He knows the purpose. He knows why it's good for us. But he doesn't tell it to everybody. Sometimes a king acts in an imperious manner and doesn't explain himself. But we have to believe the king knew something we didn't know and that he was looking out for our betterment. Sometimes the Mekubolim, the Chachamim, they're the ones that know. So the Torah did not reveal it. But it's not what the Rambam says. So let's take a look again. Let's now recap the two criticisms that we've had so far, right? They are similar in a way, correct? Um, and you could, right? They both uh, show, uh, again, they're not, they're not, it's not like one is, they're not on opposite ends, but there is a subtle and important difference between these two men about what Kedusha is and, and how to view procreation, right? The, the Rambam, the Rambam is, is sure that, that in order to turn us into holy beings, God had to sort of like bring down the hammer and force us to limit our sexual life. And the way he did that was by making all these other things, giving them a title of incest and moving it away from us. Similarly, the language that, that we speak, the language that's been bequeathed to us by the Torah makes us holier because we don't mention those things. So it builds that puritanical aspect, which according to the Rambam is what Kedusha is about. The Ramban doesn't deny that, and actually, as, as you see him saying that, we're not supposed to be Bali Taiva, but that's not the essence of what Kedusha is. There's a, there must be something very deep and Kabbalistic about why God imposed this on Arias. But it isn't, as the, it isn't just to, to keep us less involved with women or men. That's not the purpose. Otherwise, 
But Torah would have said you can only marry one wife. The Torah does not say that. So those, these, are, these are two debates. I didn't really, again, I, I don't want to go, uh, I'm not sure who's still here. I don't want to go over, but I think. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.